0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of October 14th, 2019. On the show today, the news won't leave you hanging, and Jim tells us about some recent script changes to Hoop-dee-doo review over at Fort Wilderness. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who, when he gets to hell, will immediately ask about the special place that everyone says is reserved for him there. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: I'm fine, Len. And, and in fact, <laughs> to be honest, given the number of times that people have misspelled my last name as Jim Hell. I, I <laughs> fully anticipate I have mail waiting for me there. <laughs> that's, that's
0: where my Time Life subscriptions
1: were. There we go. You know, Ed McMahon, I could in fact be a winner. It's
0: just <laughs> it all <laughs> piling up there. Jim, I mentioned hell because it's October, the Mm -hmm. month of Halloween, and I wanted to tell this story. I was in New York over the weekend. On Friday morning, I was on the train at rush hour when everyone is trying to get to work. And a woman got on at Times Square in full Satan costume, read everything, horns, tail, a pitchfork. And the first thing I thought was, you know, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. (laughs) If New Yorkers talked on the subway, I would have said it out loud, but we, we don't do that. <laughs> no, but this is true. This is
1: true. You see more agents in LA than in you know, New York, so huh. they're expanding their turf.
0: Maybe uh, New York is the number two market. Anyway, Jim, yep. let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Matt C., Randy M., and Bacon N., and longtime subscribers, Curtis E., Gregory B., and Matthew H. Jim. These folks are all now well-established actors in Hollywood, but they got their start in the early days of Disney theme parks before animatronics as extras in Pirates of the Caribbean, running in circles in the town scenes and being dunked in the well. In fact, Randy came up with the line, don't tell him, Carlos, in the dunking scene. True story. As
1: I understand it, Disney paid Matthew extra not to shave his for the leg hair for the dangling bridge scene.
0: (laughs) Is that actual lake hair? I didn't even know. I thought actual it was Actual lake hair. So. Wow. I thought it was special effects, but even, even more impressive now. There we go. All right, Jim. We're going to do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, nothing major happened in Disney World last week, right? We can just skip no. this part of the show? Nah, nah, Nothing. Nothing interesting happened at all. They're just going to keep on moving here. <laughs> Speaking of keeping moving or not, (laughs) you have a story
1: for us. We had the Skyliner dedicated on September 21. Characters came out, photo op, and it then proceeded to run. And then come Saturday night in the Riviera Resort Station. Disney does not want this described as an accident. In fact, they reached out to major media outlets and websites that covered it and actually asked those that used the word accident to change that. That, how did they describe it? It was- Uh, They said that malfunction. Malfunction? Snafu. uh, Glitch. uh, Unexpected downtime? Uh, uh, Incident? (laughs) Whatever happened in the station happened with enough force to actually shatter the plexiglass windows of one of the cars in the station. Well, let's start by saying no one was hurt.
0: No No one was hurt. No one was hurt. hurt. hurt.
1: Well, I mean, there were- Three individuals who were taken as a precaution to Orlando area hospitals after they were evacuated. They were all released Sunday morning. Okay, It took them three and a half hours to get all these folks out of uh, the cars that had stopped on the line. The fact that the vehicle that had been rolling around Disney property that was supposedly, you know, had been created for the evac. I didn't see any evidence of this thing being used. They were using cherry pickers to take people two at a time.
0: We're, we're going to talk about that, Jim, because uh, not to not to spoil the rest of our show, but one of the Disney Dish listeners was actually stuck on the Skyliner Ooh. and told us all about it.
1: Wh- who was this individual? Who
0: reached So it's a, it's a listener named Brent. Thank you, Brent, for sending us in. But Jim, let me ask you a couple of quick questions before we get started here. When do we think the Skyliner is going to reopen? Like what's involved in this investigation here? From what I'm hearing from
1: the folks at Disney, they obviously want to put this in the review mirror as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. As of Tuesday morning, they were once again cycling all of the, the gondolas through the various stations. Mind you, they're all empty, but they're all cruising along at 11 miles an hour and three stories up. They want to get the Skyway back up and running with four guests as early as this coming weekend, the Columbus Day weekend. Uh, you know, Because obviously you, we're going to see the, that sort of artificial blip of folks who are coming out for the three-day weekend. Mm-hmm. The problem here right now is determining, are we talking operator error? Are we talking mechanical issues? Because with a brand new transportation system, Len, these sorts of things happen. In fact, I was just reading, David Koenig has just put out a wonderful new book called The 55ers. It's about the pioneers who settled Disneyland. It's, it's all of the, the cast members who work the first year uh, at the park back in 55. Wow. And there's a section of the book that deals with the Main Street operations team, uh, which would include the folks who were in the train station. And, you know, I know everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, the first week and they have this accident. Well, listen to this storyline. Disneyland opened with two locomotives, each with its own set of six cars. One was designed as an elegant passenger train. The other was a, mm-hmm. a Western-look freight car, a train with cattle cars and a caboose. Disneyland opened, the freight train stopped only at a small station in Frontierland with a passenger train, passed through the Frontier Station, and it didn't stop till it made it back to the Main Street Depot. When the trains were stopped in their respective stations... A switch was activated to divert the other train to a spur track so they could go around the stationary vehicle. Once it passed, uh, the switch was supposed to be thrown back into position. And uh, David stressed those words supposed to be. Okay, so here's the incident First manager of Main Street, Eugene Ralph Lemon, better known as Doc, recalled I was in charge of the stations running around the park. And a few days after we opened, there was a derailment of a train at the Main Street station. Really? Yep. When it came out of the tunnel on the 15-foot high bridge just before the station, a guy threw the switch between two wheels of the rear car, and it wound up just leaning out over the entrance of Disneyland with people inside. Looked like it was going to fall, so we hurried and got the thing evacuated and shored up the car. Doc stressed here, it happened the first week while we were still getting things squared away. Lemon assumed they'd dodge catastrophe, but Walt insisted there be consequences for the operator involved. Doc Walt said it could have fallen on people and killed them. Yep. So just like, oh my God, you know, the Skyliner, how could this happen? It's like, well, it happened at Disneyland the first week. So yeah, these things happen is what we're saying. Now back to the letter. Let's right. hear hear about what it was actually like to be
0: high in the sky. <laughs> so it's from uh, from Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say this, uh, so Brent not only sent in the letter, but on um, touring plans, we have a, an app called minds, mm-hmm. uh, and has a chat feature. And actually Brent was giving us minute by minute accounts <laughs> of what was okay. going on. It okay. was, it was a riveting Saturday night. I, I can't tell you how many people were, were, were logged in and looking at that, but it was, uh, it was captivating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's the, uh, here's the email. I'm, I'm Brent, a touring plan subscriber, dad to two twin girls, husband to Jennifer, we're new AP holders and we live in Cincinnati. I also listen to the Disney Dish each Monday, and I love the content. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family and I were one of the hundreds of people stranded uh, Saturday night on the Skyliner. I thought I'd share our experience. You might enjoy reading about all, about it as it was both the worst of Disney followed by the best of Disney. So here's the setup. Saturday evening, we were headed to the International Gateway entrance at Epcot to grab some dinner and to give the Skyliner a whirl. you would researched the Skyliner, listened to her, the reviews, and thought it sounded fun. Brent says his wife was a bit nervous, as she doesn't like enclosed spaces, Nonetheless, we boarded before eating. And that's important, by the way, in the context of this letter. Roger <laughs> we the Riviera, got off, and got back on the Epcot line. Besides us in the gondola, there were three women from New York and husband and wife from Northern Orlando. Just before the turn on Buena Vista Drive near the Speedway gas station, we came to a stop at about 8.10 p.m., the usual message played saying the Skyliner was temporarily stopped and that would be underwear shortly. That message played repeatedly for the next three hours. <laughs> and by the way, Brent, Brent says that of, of all of the things that happened, the thing that he could do without ever again mm. is hearing that message for three hours. He said mm-hmm. that was like one of the worst parts of it. So Brent continues, uh, as you probably know, Saturday night was cool, about 80 degrees or so, and a bit breezy. The Skyliner was swaying a bit in the wind. About 45 minutes into the stoppage, my daughter, who can be prone to motion sickness, announced she was about to throw up. I grabbed the emergency kit, opened it, and found a medical waste bag and chemical cold compress. Luckily, she calmed down and didn't get sick. By 9 o'clock, so 50 minutes into this, there were a louder fire trucks and ambulances screaming by and Buena Vista Drive. We saw a ton of flashing lights at Epcot, and one of our gondola mates found the pictures online of the smashed gondolas. So uh, it's like being in the Titanic, I guess, and uh, before social media, but seeing, or maybe with social media, and seeing the iceberg. Right? Brent writes that 50 minutes in, he had, they had still heard nothing from Disney except the taped message that continued to play every five minutes. And Brent says it's funny how your mind begins to uh, wonder things like, "What if the cord is damaged from the accident? Can this thing fall?" And Brent continu- uh, continues to say, "I knew that Disney had practiced evacuation, so I knew that it was possible it would have to be brought down from a cherry picker." My daughters were fairly upset, and we were busy working to keep them calm. At 9 p.m., Brent writes, I pressed the emergency call button, announced that we didn't have an emergency, but asked if they could please provide more information about the evacuation plan or the continuation plan. The operator answered, stammered, not sure what to say, and then said, we're working to evacuate everyone as quickly as possible. And then Brent says, to my surprise, apparently the emergency call box is like an old-fashioned telephone party line and that other gondolas can hear the conversation. Several other people responded, asking, what does that mean? And can you tell me what evacuation means? What does that look like? There was no response, and then everything went quiet. Uh, Brent writes that he might—I uh, felt he, like he might have induced panic, and he resolved not to use the call box again. So that's interesting. Did you know that the call boxes were all connected, Jim? I did not. Yikes. Okay. Okay, so party line. Didn't mm-hmm. know that either. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so Brent continues. Shortly after... Disney made an announcement with a real person that basically said the same thing as the pre-recorded message. Now we had two announcements alternating every few minutes. At no point was there an announcement that provided any information, no indication that help would be available shortly, nothing. At about 9.45, about 1.5 hours into the incident, Disney finally alerted us to the emergency kit under the seat. We'd obviously been in ours, but I was stunned that it took Disney that long to alert folks to its presence. In the kit were approximately six four ounce bottles of water, mm-hmm. six or so chemical compress bags. They last about 10 minutes once activated, Burn writes, a plastic whistle, a glow stick, six of the uh, medical waste bags, a tiny pencil, and a small pad of paper. So Jim, let me, let me stop the reading there and, and point out that there are 10 people in the cabin. There are six small bottles of water and six compress bags. So the way that I'm looking at this is, is tough luck, Grandma, if you're on the ladder, <laughs> right? <That's> what it, <laughs> oh. it, it's going to be Lord of the Flies in there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Brett writes, at 10 p.m., we had a lovely view of Epcot forever. Our girls settled down and tried to sleep, but the incessant messages, which were very loud, made that difficult. Our gondola mates were fun people who loved Disney, and we had great conversations about our families, and it really helped to pass the time. About 11 p.m. or so, we moved a bit. Then we stopped. A few minutes later, we moved and crept very slowly back to the Epcot station, and we were on the ground just before 11.30 p.m. So that's the the basics of the incident. Hmm. But Brent goes on to write, so this was the worst part of Disney. This is the worst of it all. I'm not certain that Disney thought being stranded on the gondolas was a serious possibility. I saw pictures of them practicing the rescue, but honestly, the protocol of saying nothing only heightened anxiety. Add social media pictures of smashed gondolas, fire trucks and ambulances beneath you, and I'm sure that some of the folks were really nervous. Disney and us too. Uh, We're fortunate in that this incident happened on a cool, breezy Saturday evening. We had plenty of ventilation. And while I didn't care for the swaying in the gondolas, I was thankful that we were not roasting. This is the gift. I would not ever, and he emphasized ever, want to be in one of those things on a summer afternoon. We were at Disney in late June, one afternoon in Animal Kingdom, and it was 100 degrees, 100 degree weather, plus three hours in a stopped gondola. And you have a recipe for some very serious medical emergencies. On a day like that, the supplies in the emergency kit would not be near enough to keep people safe. I don't think Disney can rescue people fast enough. Also, those damn messages every few minutes are torture. So mm-hmm. that was that was the uh, the worst of it. And I, I got to say, you know, I, I agree on some of this. I I've heard from uh, from other people. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of them were doctors, and their big question was or concern was this: if you've got diabetes mm-hmm. and you take insulin, number one, being if you if you don't have a if you don't have a injection with you. Uh, for three hours, that could potentially be problematic, right? If you don't have insulin or food with you, could be probma- uh, problematic. But the other thing is, is, and this goes to Brent's point: you're supposed to store insulin in a in a cool spot. It starts to denature at relatively at temperatures like above ninety degrees. I'm not sure that 100 degrees, as Brent says, uh, and insulin would combine very well. So that's an interesting question. Right there, yeah. about that. All right, so there's some, there's some, definitely some things to, uh, to consider long-term on that. Um, mm-hmm. This is the, uh, but Brent writes, here's the best of Disney. We were met by Disney officials who quickly assessed us medically, gave us water, directed us to the bathroom, and then interviewed us. We filled out a simple form that provided our name, address, email, phone number, and if we were staying on property, the name of our hotel. Immediately handed $400 in, Div- in Disney gift cards, 100 for each member of our party, and two park hopper passes for each member of our party. Interestingly, in the back of the ticket, it reads, One Day Park Hopper Evacuation. And I don't know if these were pre printed or printed just for the occasion. So can you imagine wow. the intern who's like, Hey, fire up the printer. I've got a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Brett writes that we were also given a taxi voucher and directions to the beach club to catch a taxi. All in all, I thought the on the ground response was very swift, confident, and the compensation fair. However, uh, not however, but in addition. The next afternoon, about 1 p.m., I got a call from the general manager at the All-Star Movies Resort. We just checked out, and he asked if we'd be willing to meet with him, which I was happy to do. The manager apologized for what happened and that he and Disney management knew it could have been easy to be stuck. He uh, said that Disney had worked through the night to track people down in order to perform some additional customer care. He indicated that uh, we were the only family at any of the All-Star Resorts to be stuck on the Skyliner. That's moderately surprising, giving the number of people there, right? I,
1: I agree I agree yeah I was, uh-huh.
0: okay anyway Brent writes, uh, at that point he indicated that Disney was comping our hotel stay providing us with $400 in additional cash credit another $100 for each of us and it placed one additional park hopper on our MDE account because the credit card had already been charged and because he was giving us a credit of $400 he handed me cash that totaled our three net hotel stay plus the $400 so so Jim uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm picturing Disney's, Disney people staying up all night number one hitting every available ATM in Lake Buena Vista <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> how, do you, how do you come up with that much cash? And then printing tickets like willy nilly. Anyway, uh, Brent writes I later saw the park opera ticket in our MD account correctly assigned to each of my family members. The manager didn't say it, but because we are eight annual pass holders, but it paid for the not so scary Halloween party, I wonder if the $400 was to compensate for that. And Brent writes I wish I would have booked the Polly and the deluxe dining plan. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Jeez. Yeah, you and me both, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Brent uh, Brent concludes, I thought Disney's customer service recovery was spot on. At no point did I ask for any additional compensation. We love Disney. We'll be back in December. I'm grateful no one was injured. Disney can't take the summer heat issue lightly. Mm -hmm. He writes, I should also mention that we were uh, just that Saturday discussing DVC as we kicked around it, uh, the idea for a few years. We had so much fun at the party. We decided to investigate purchasing at the Riviera in part because of the discount and in part because of the Skyliner. But I wouldn't buy Riviera now for a couple of reasons and the Skyliner is one of them. I don't think I'll write it again. And I know for certain that I would have a tough time getting my wife and kids on it anytime soon. So that mm-hmm. was the end. Uh, so I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote Brent a really nice note back saying thanks for, thanks for all of this.
1: Oh, no, no, no. This is a, a wonderful, you know, in the moment reporting here. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. You know. Interesting that he brings up the, the Riviera Resort Station. Because in talking with folks at Disney, it, it's kind of interesting that this incident happened. At the Riviera Resort Station. And the belief is the hotel there isn't open. The guests who are staying at the Caribbean, a beach resort, have to hike over. From Aruba, yeah. It's actually not a, not a long hike. I mean, the buildings are, are fairly close. Okay. But the thinking is the sort of experience that the folks at, say, the Hollywood Studios end or the Epcot end, or for that matter, the Art of Animation and Pop Century Station, just because of... The larger amounts of people coming into the station, they had that much more experience. It's intriguing to me. And again,
0: to the folks at Disney, that it happened, this happened at the Riviera station. The least trafficked of the station so far. There we go. Uh, maybe something to look at. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was that. Thank you, Brent, for sending that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the, like I said, the moment-by-moment moment stuff that happened on lines Chat, too. That was fantastic. It looks like once every, like Brent said uh, once, Disney was on, once everyone was on the ground, Disney handled it pretty well. Mm-hmm. I do think there are some things that Disney needs to think about, especially, again, if this happened during a, you know, a midsummer day. No, I agree. And I things agree. Things could have been slightly different. So, but again, they're, they're, I think those are relatively straightforward changes to make, and I'm sure Disney will take every available precaution on that. So learning lesson for everyone. Glad that no one got hurt. Seriously. True. Same thing here. All right, Jim, a couple of other things happened last week. I visited uh, the Epcot experience at the Odyssey last week, Jim. This is the uh, preview center, mm-hmm. if you will, for the changes coming to Epcot. It's the same as the uh, Epcot booth that was at D23. The way that it works is this. You enter a round room. There's a model of Spaceship Earth in the middle. that's elevated. Uh, but the walls are one big 360-degree seamless movie screen and I'm, I'm reasonably sure this is uh, a demo of the 360-degree films coming to Canada. Oh, absolutely. China, right? Yeah, yeah. The
1: fact that it looked as good as it does, just going to be fascinating to see when we finally get to see the new Canada and the China show.
0: Yeah, the uh, the projections were, uh, were very good too. So, you know, we, we know everything that's coming to Epcot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even so, it's still a good presentation to be in the Epcot experience, being surrounded by the video with really good audio, is definitely different than watching it on a computer or from your iPad or your phone or whatever, regardless of whether you agree what's what's happening in Epcot, right? The end of the presentation is kind of puzzling. And here's why. Mm-hmm. The last thing that they mention before the presentation ends is the Mary Poppins attraction that's coming to the UK Pavilion. So there's a projection of a modified United Kingdom street scene. The season appears to be autumn because a bunch of fall leaves swoop up and around and they're very colorful. And then we see Mary Poppins flying by and then the film ends. Mary Poppins Attractions is coming and then they show a scene and there's no discussion of what the attraction is, Jim. Nothing at all. It's just, hey, we're building a Mary Poppins thing. Eh, the end. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, were we any closer to knowing what's, uh, what's going to be built here? When the money became available to do
1: this, they literally pivoted and it's like, what exactly are we doing? Because we had the plan where we had 17 Cherry Tree Lane in the park across the way. And mm-hmm. now the artwork that they were using for the D23 presentation of the Cherry Tree Lane, that was for the UK version of Anna and Elsa's Summerhus. The notion really? was that you stepped into the Banks' home, and then in much the same way as the Summer Hoose works, there are three separate rooms, three different sets of Anna's and Elsa's. There would be at least two different rooms. You could have a meet and greet with Mary Poppins and Jack. The room would be tricked up with a couple of the classic Mary Poppins illusions. She'd be able to reach into her carpet bag in front of you and pull out an oversized thing, and there'd, there'd be magical creatures that would appear in the window and that sort of thing. But now the notion is, well, we, we set attraction traction. We're, doesn't that mean a ride? That's why you get that point. sort of <laughs> blinding field of cherry tree blossoms that come up on the screen. And they're still working out a budget. They're still working out a site plan. They have turned to the folks who are operating World Showplace. And, hey, can we have a, a teeny tiny corner of no? Because they have <laughs> events booked out. <laughs> As far yeah. as 2025, and it's just sort of like, no, no, we have events. Figure out some other way for Mary and Jack to meet
0: with people. So that's gonna be a, there's going to be a little turf war going on, a literal turf war going on there. That's going to be funny.
1: Yeah, so Mary may be opening pretty late in 2021, and it'll make it for the 50th, but don't necessarily count on being able to walk in the front door January 1st.
0: Yeah. What is 50, Jim? Just a number, right? There we go. <laughs> 50 is the new 51, as far as I could tell.
1: And remember, when Disneyland had its 50th anniversary, it started May 5th, 2005, and continued all the way to September 30th, 2006. So that's the sort of uh, anniversary <laughs> it, it we're It
0: two fiscal years.
1: There we go. <laughs> there we go. So Mary Poppins, or whatever they're building there, late 2021, possibly 2022.
0: All right. Jim, speaking of uh, other things that are coming up, last week, Disney Cruise Line released a promo video for its uh, next ship the Disney wish. Mm -hmm. There were uh, only a couple of new things in the video. There was some concept art for the atrium, which shows the usual spiral staircase that you get on on Disney cruise lines, and then uh, a new ornate chandelier. Again, fairly standard for Disney ships, but the chandelier looks to be much larger Mm -hmm. than the current ships. The thing that got my attention, Jim, was the exterior renderings of the ship. One of them shows midship staterooms that bulge out of the sides of the ship, and the current lineup of Disney ships, don't do that. So I went over, it's like a, a minute 45 promotional film. Jim, I went through it second by second, <laughs> like it was the Kennedy assassination <laughs> Zapruder film. Yeah. we. I had my computer screen open with multiple images of the current Disney ships from multiple angles, right? And where Scott and I are on the phone going through this, trying to figure out like, is this rendering true? And if it's true, what does it mean? So um, so the first thing that Scott said was that the bulges in the sta- uh, sides of the ship, it happens right around the smokestacks. So mm-hmm. basically the where the stairwells in the atrium are on the ship. And Scott uh, Sanders from the Disney Cruise Line blog says this might be to make more space available in the atriums for public functions. And that, that kind of makes sense given the number of activities that take place there throughout the day, especially if the weather's bad or at night, right? More things happen inside. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. makes sense. But it might also be for for larger rooms. So we already know that the Triton class of ships, which is this newest class, are slightly wider than the Dream and the Fantasy. And Disney said that the Wish will accommodate about the same number of passengers as the existing ships, around 1,250 guest rooms. And so from research, I know that the Disney concierge rooms go for top dollar, and they sell out very fast. But here's the second reason why I think we're looking at more concierge rooms. The other thing that Scott and I noticed was, as we were comparing these these photos, is that the new Wish ship appears to have one or two more forward decks than the Dream, and these are above the pool deck, Mm -hmm. so they're not for the spa. It would make sense, though, to have these two mini decks as additional concierge rooms because they'd have direct access to the concierge sun deck and the pool. So if you notice on the renderings, the front of the ship is taller on the wish and the dream and the fantasy, but two decks. My guess is that those are concierge rooms. Jim,
1: any, uh, any thoughts on this? Disney never operates in a vacuum. And if you look at what the other major cruise lines have done, the atrium thing is spot on. Though Disney takes great pride in the fact that the ships in their fleet do not look like milk boxes. They're not that big square shape that you need to accommodate, you know, oversized atriums and, and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of intrigued by the attempt to keep the classic line, you know, that the, the cruise line of the 20s and the 30s, mm-hmm. and yet then still create space for the traditional uh, concierge rooms and these atriums. It's interesting you bring up the arrival space, or how you come on the boat and the space there with the giant chandelier, because that seemed lighter, less, you know, classically grounded than what we've seen for the Disney ships previously. They're trying to keep the classic look and line, but at the same time, understand that this is not the Disney Cruise Line of, you know that, that launched in what ninety seven, ninety eight. That you know, yeah, it's not the it, it's
0: not the cruise line from twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah,
1: you have this entire group of people who have gone on Disney cruises beforehand and and loved it, but also have, you know, the, well, again, remember the survey you talked about, you know, a a couple of months ago about, you know, what technologies people now expected to have in their rooms. So it's how to be modern, how to create what people expect from a modern cruise experience, but at the same time, how to still be classic and how still be Disney.
0: Yeah, we should we should start to know more next year Mm -hmm. as the itineraries are announced because they'll Mm -hmm. have to give more information about the staterooms when you start booking those, right? Once you announce the itineraries, that's exactly yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, Scott did mention that uh, um, he thought that there would be a high end restaurant similar to Remy Mm -hmm. on the new ships, but uh, but possibly it would be Beauty and the Beast theme, and that kind of makes sense in the context of the atrium design that we saw, which looks very Beauty and the Beast ish.
1: We just had the Enchanted Rose
0: lounge open at the- Jim, I was in such a good mood till you- Go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, no,
1: we can can save this for another show, but is it just me or is Disney going back to the Beauty and the Beast well a little too
0: often these days? I mean, it's it's the right time for millennials who are nostalgic for that film. The thing that drives me crazy about the Enchanted Rose Mm -hmm. is- it's a French-themed bar in a Victorian Florida-themed hotel. But mm-hmm. if you look inside the bar, it's got mid-century modern furniture. Like, what? What are we going for here in terms of design? What's the theme? Is consistency too much to ask for here? Is it too much? Are we? We're just giving up on all of it now: theme parks, hotels, <laughs> bars, everything doesn't matter anymore. Well, I'll tell you what. Hold on, Jim. I have to. I, ha- I have to take my pills. I have to take my pills. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to poke the bear there. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take my nitroglycerin tablets. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim's going to talk about the Hoop to Do a review. We'll be right back. Jim is here to talk us about some script changes that have happened over at the Hoop-Dee-Doo Review. Jim, I was listening to the soundtrack for this the other day, including all the corny jokes that go along with it, Mm -hmm. like, dancers running my family, that's really good because they sure can't dance. (laughs) Corny jokes like that. I love this show for the endless run
1: of bear jokes. (laughs) My next of skin! (laughs) That's what's kind of killing me about the news that's coming out about the Hoop-Dee-Doo Review. All right. Because when pioneer hall actually opened the whole notion was okay so you know we got this space here and we'll give nature lectures and guess what like no no I'm not doing that I'm not going in there I, on my disney world vacation and watch true life adventure film right. you know, going to be over the park so they opened this thing April 1st, 1974. By June 30th, the very first presentation of Hoop-dee-doo is in that space, and it's using kids from the college program. So that's two months they pulled this entire show up out of the ground. It's just these six kids from the college program. And in fact, I remember talking with Gary Goddard, who was, was part of the original opening cast of this thing, and he says, boy, the version that the college program, I wish you could have seen that. Because we were totally off the wall. I mean, at, at one point, <laughs> Six Bits actually jumped from the second floor down to the stage. Oh. And it was just this loose, funny, crazy show. Gary described the first couple of shows where they, they had to physically go around to the campsite. saying, like, hey, we're doing a show. You want to come? And you know, they only filled like six tables. But the six tables went out and talked to everybody else in the campsites. they like, oh my God, we just and saw this amazing it, show. Yeah. And so the next show, they had seven tables filled. And, and by the end of, of the summer, they were filling the hall at least twice a night. And unfortunately, all the college kids had to go home. And so- they pivoted and hired all these, these folks from equity to come in and learn the show and one of the first things like yeah I'm not jumping from the second stage. you know that, that's you know I I you know I don't want my, my souvenir for working at Disney to be a truss but this show that they slapped together with all of these loose funny bits basically played forever until we got into roughly 2010 or or thereabouts and then for lack of a better term like the show started to be nibbled to death by ducks. The show came together so quickly. The Hoop-dee-doo Seam Thong was actually a song that Perry Como had performed back in 1950. And so it was written by Milt Delug and Frank Lesser. So Milt Delug actually comes to Walt Disney World and sees the show in in 2010 or thereabouts and, and is delighted that this song that he wrote has found new life in a Disney show. I mean, they tweak the lyrics a little bit, but it's basically the same song that Perry Como performed. And he mentions it casually to Frank Lesser's widow, who kind of loses her mind, like, what? This is the thing that's been presented ten thousand times? And did they license yeah. the right to sing? That and, and that's it exactly. That the Lesser family hires a lawyer, they reach out to the Disney company go, Hi, did you? you guys ever license that? And it's like, look back, it's like, uh, geez, I don't think we did. And so they had to pay the lesser family a pretty sizable check, and then they wrote a brand new theme song that's much in the style of the Perry Como song, but is entirely Disney-owned. And so that was the first change. And then, after the Polish shooting in 2016, this is a sort of, you know, a Wild West show. They come in by stagecoach, and There were guns used in the show, but they were always, you know, clearly pop guns and toy rifles and pistols and that sort of thing. Uh, Those immediately got cut from the show. Makes sense in the context,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And about the same time, especially in the Davy Crockett sequence, the thinking was like, wow, there's that moment where they bring his faithful Indian scout on stage and it's like, Suddenly, that seems offensive to the indigenous people, the the folks from the First Nations. And it's like, maybe. So Indian Scout suddenly becomes a wilderness scout. And the Indian headdresses that are featured in other parts of the show, those disappear. But if you're a Disney performer and you're going on stage these days, coming on stage, coming off stage, you encounter a brand new Disney standards and practices placard. Really? Yeah. That basically says to the effect of "Don't be too familiar with the audience." Now, some of it obviously makes sense—no double entendres, that sort of thing. Yeah. But with a show like Hoop Dee Doo, where think about how much of that show is done on the floor of pioneer hall performers moving from table to table. I mean, for example, the state song, just gathering the information about, all right, who's from what state. So I can then sing about this. Right. But Disney's lawyers have kind of stepped into the space and it's like, I don't know is we're comfortable with you doing that anymore. Being overly familiar, you know, making fun of people in the audience and that sort of thing. Maybe we, you know, we need to, to push that back. And, the performers who were uh, and the, the longtime techs at Pioneer Hall mm-hmm. can't help but think does this have anything to do with reflections? You know, here's this, you know, it's 900 room mixed use resort that's being built basically right behind Pioneer Hall where they're, they're trying to bring in DVC folks and other hotel guests. And it, it's sort of a, a more sophisticated spin on spending your time at Fort Wilderness. And the notion is, are you guys cleaning this show up out of concern about who's coming through the door here in 2002 or, or 2022? Wow. The fact that half the fun of this show is that it's it's corny. It's not meant to be sophisticated. Len, the only reason this show was was even created was that when they opened this place in April of 74, I mean... The Crockett's Tavern was doing okay business, but it was just like, wow, we just spent all this money building this giant building with 1,200 hand-fitted logs, and we got to earn our keep. And so they they invent this silly show that really cut on with guests, and just the whole notion that here's the folks at Disney World who are trying to justify what they're being paid in when they work in management. And it's like, are we accidentally insulting the indigenous people? Are we accidentally insulting our female guests in the hall and maybe we needed to fix the script and in fact the last thing i heard is there's now concerns about the alamo portion of the show the notion of well you know the alamo and we you know
0: that we fought the mexican no no one remembers the alamo Mm jim no one (laughs) no one remembers the alamo no 100 (laughs) years ago it might have been it might have been a different script right Mm -hmm. now it's You can make all the fun you want of the French and Indian War. That's all I'm saying.
1: That may be the joke the next time you
0: get in there, Len. You know what? We invaded Canada. Why don't we do a song about that? <laughs> that would work. All right. <laughs> anyway, there's there's a suggestion for all you budding songwriters out there. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. For our Bandcamp subscribers, we're working on at least two special Disney theme park shows. We've been crossing the country, digging into the archives for these. I promise you things that you've never heard before, coming soon. On our next show, we're going to talk to Robert and Alyssa, a couple who are living in Disney World hotels for a year. Don't forget that we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's competing this week in the Oyster Shuck Off contest at the Wellfleet Oyster Fest in Wellfleet, Massachusetts. What does Aaron have against bivalves? He's not saying. As you ponder that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Genesis Len. We'll see you on the next show.